Oh, okay. <laughs> You're listening, listening to Hold That Thought from Arts and Sciences at Washington University in St. Louis. Hi, thanks for listening to Hold That Thought. I'm your host, Claire Navarro. So here at Washington University in St. Louis, every year in the summer, incoming freshmen are mailed a book and asked to read it before arriving on campus. Once they arrive, there are discussion groups, events, and an essay contest, all based around that chosen text. This year, the book was Notes from No Man's Land, American Essays, by nonfiction writer Eula Biss. The essays within Notes from No Man's Land offer a personal and historical approach to questions about culture, race, and identity. And, as indicated by the book's subtitle, they are distinctly American essays. Biss joined Hold That Thought to continue our series on American identities. There is a meditation that's carried through the book that's really about what does it mean to be American and what's what's the legacy that this country has left for me. I didn't set out to do that. I didn't sit down and to write an essay and think, now I'm going to write about America. I, I think that that probably would have frozen me as a writer. But that is that is a question that drives the book. In the book, episodes from Biss's own life are juxtaposed with glimpses of the nation's past. In both her own story and that of the country, issues surrounding race are never far from sight. Uh, I think it's very difficult if you know enough to talk about almost any subject in this country, to talk about the history of anything without coming up against the history around race in this country and the history around slavery. Even the things that we use as markers as a, of our primary identity as Americans, all of those things, every aspect has been informed by our history and our history of, of slave trade and our history of colonization. It's, it's written all over every piece of who we are. In some instances, the truth of this is surprising and even disturbing. The powerful opening essay of Notes from No Man's Land is called Time and Distance Overcome. It begins in the 1880s, when, throughout the country, telephone poles and wires were being erected to bring a new form of technology, the household telephone, to the masses. I entered that essay kind of dazzled by what we had done in terms of creating an infrastructure to communicate with each other in this country. It's a massive feat erecting all of these telephone poles and thousands, hundreds and thousands of miles of wires stretched across the country. It's still mind-boggling to me. And, and so I entered the essay from that place of wonder. Wonder turned to horror as Biss realized that even a simple telephone pole carries with it the history of racial violence in this country. In nearly every state, as soon as the telephone poles were erected, they began being used to lynch Black Americans. The essay Time and Distance Overcome lists more than 20 examples, and this is just a small sampling of the widespread violence. The kind of destructive forces in our culture, the, the forces that were, that were driven by oppressive impulses, definitely found this tool and used it. At some point in that essay, I, I say nothing is innocent, and, and I really believe that. Nothing is. Everything has been touched by what has happened in this country and by the history there. 
Elsewhere within Notes from No Man's Land, the author's personal history is included. Biss has white parents and identifies as white, but like many Americans, her extended family includes people who identify as other races. Yet this isn't to say that her family life alone prompted her writings about race. I don't want to be seen as someone who wrote about race because I came from a kind of special circumstances. What I'm always trying to communicate to people is that I think any white person with their eyes open has an investment in racial politics. Part of this keeping one's eyes open is recognizing the no man's lands in this country and understanding that many Americans identify as not so much from being within a specific social or racial group, but as somewhere in between them. I think most people in some way fall between categories in, in terms of their identity or the way they live their lives or, or their alliances to other people, wrench them out of whatever category they thought they belonged in. It's amazing to me that it still feels dangerous to intentionally inhabit that space and, and to speak from that space. So are these categories simply fictional? Can and should Americans be able to choose their racial identities? The answer, of course, is that it's complicated. In general, I do think these categories are fluid, and I do think that people can and do move between racial categories all the time. That said, I think it's harder for some people than for others. There was a, a student um, here at uh, WashU who wrote uh, an essay for the essay contest. It was about the Trayvon Martin shooting, and he was a black student who was writing about uh, his experience in high school when um, he experimented with trying to dress like the other people in his school. He, a lot of the other kids in his class were white, and he was a black student, and he, they were slouching their pants and wearing big baggy sweatshirts and hoodies, and he was dressing much more conservatively, much more kind of preppy. And he just, he kind of wanted to fit in. So one day he dressed like the other kids in his class and his mother wouldn't let him out the door. And she said, you know, his complaint was, mom, other kids are dressing like this. And she said, you can't dress the way white kids dress. It's not safe for you. Um, you can't go out there looking like that. And, um, and he said he didn't really believe her until this Trayvon Martin shooting. And he saw, okay, this is what can happen to a guy wearing a hoodie who's just walking down the street. He can end up shot and dead. And, um, and what is for some people a fashion statement is for other people mortally dangerous. So... I think as much as I do believe that these categories are fluid and that one can move between them, the costs of moving between them are not the same for everyone. The freshman writer whose story Biss just shared is C.J. Harrington. You can find his full essay, titled The Hood, on Hold That Thought's website. Despite the inequality and the fact that some no-man's lands are more dangerous than others in this country, Biss stands by a quotation by Albert Murray that she includes in her essay, Relations. Murray wrote, For all their traditional antagonisms and obvious differences, the so-called black and so-called white people of the United States resemble nobody in the world as much as they resemble each other. Despite our differences, both he and Biss believe that there is such a thing as a distinct American identity. 
almost anything that you can think of that's an iconic American cultural marker, right? Like uh, music that is iconically American, jazz, blues, you know, music that's that's specific to this country. It's not just a product of African-American culture, it is, but it's a, it's a product of many different peoples coming together. So, you know, the the route by which blues developed or, or jazz developed, it, when you look into the specifics of that, it's, it's about immigrant peoples of the Appalachians coming into contact with former slaves and all different kinds of traditions and sensibilities are producing this music that is essentially American, that could only be produced in America, that could only come out of this peculiar mixing of traditions that happened here. I don't want to erase the fact that there's cultural specificity, right? But I do think that most anything that is culturally important in this country has been fed in some way by African-American culture, that in that sense, we share a culture. With Notes from No Man's Land, Biss hoped to stimulate much-needed conversations about race in America. She drew inspiration and part of her title from James Baldwin's 1955 essay, Notes of a Native Son. I guess in the manner of James Baldwin, I was thinking about myself as a metaphor for the country, too, where I I was thinking about how this country sometimes is spoken of as a young country, though we're we're not all that young as a country anymore, um, which could also be said of me as a person. You know, I I was youngish when I wrote this book, and I'm not all that young anymore. And, you know, as a country, I do think we've reached a point where it's time to look back on the mistakes of our youth and and decide where we want to take ourselves in the future and decide how we're going to correct for what we did in our past you know and, and i think that's the process of becoming an adult right it, it, you you reckon with who you were in your youth and uh, and i do feel like on a grander scale the country needs to to reckon with where we've been and find a productive way to move forward. Many thanks to Eula Biss for contributing to Hold That Thought. This is the fourth episode in our ongoing series on American identities. So to hear earlier episodes, please visit our website. We're at thought.artsci.wustl.edu. That's thought.artsci. Hold That Thought podcasts are available on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and PRX. I'm your host, Claire Navarro. Thanks for listening.